Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm your host, Kira LaForgia, and every week I'm bringing you behind the scenes of running a successful business. Join me while we laugh, learn, and connect on mostly HR inappropriate topics with successful founders, diverse leaders, and kick-ass employees. It's true, your HR lady may have fired your bestie or made you sign a love contract, but we also have all the hot gossip that will make you better at your job. Whether you're on your way up the corporate ladder, are a fellow HR villain, or are building a culture as a rising entrepreneur. We are diving right in today on one of the most talked about topics when it comes to planning, hiring, developing, managing, and essentially not getting screwed (laughs) in your team. So... The employee versus contractor discussion is one that seemingly has no end. Uh, We have so many resources. We've written so many blogs. We have done so much research. And it remains hard to pinpoint and nail down for many employers, many small business owners, and especially in the remote space um, with small teams. So there are a few reasons for this. One of them is that you might think you understand it, but then it can change. The other is our favorite answer of every question, which is it depends. It depends where the people live. It depends what they're doing. It depends how they're acting. And it also depends on what they want as an individual. And most importantly, it depends on what your business needs. So as I've kind of worked in the online space, worked with remote teams, worked with business owners that are expanding their businesses for the first time. There has been more than one occasion where I have been honestly a little bit confused as to why there is a reluctance to take that leap into having employees. In another episode later on, I am going to dive into how I got here in the first place. And so I can actually attribute my entire career trajectory to the understanding of the difference between employees and contractors and over the years have learned to explain and hone in on this topic in a way that feels hopeful and doable for many business owners. But Keep in mind, my career started out in corporate, where everyone is a W-2 employee. It expanded into small business, where most people were W-2 employees, but then we do have some contract workers mixed in. And now, working with many different types and sizes of small businesses, this is a conversation that we have often, especially when you have fewer than 10 people on your team, fewer than 10 employees. You only need a few people in order to get the job done, in order to hit your goals, serve the needs of your clients, serve the needs of your customers, and also just in general to get to the next level if that's where you want to be or to kind of carve out a space where you have the career that you want to have based on your own entrepreneurship journey. So needless to say, the most talked about topic, the most asked question in our community is always about employees or contractors. And you can ask this question once as a business owner, but the thing is, you're going to be asking it over and over and over again if you always intend to have a small team. Let's just say less than eight to 10 individuals. 
And the reason for that is because of the elements that I talked about earlier. Where do people live? What does the business need? How are the laws changing and developing? What kind of culture do you want to have? Where are you in your career path? That is how we decide who we need for our business. What we have seen a lot of, and I think that once people start to get a little bit more comfortable with the idea that they can be a really successful leader and manager and business owner with a team without feeling like totally stressed out, is that we think we have a little bit more control over what the classification of our team members is. And truthfully, We do not. Our business will tell us what it needs, and it's our responsibility to make sure that we are on the up and up when it comes to building and developing our team members. The employee contractor discussion is one that I constantly find myself in a little bit of a limbo. So everyone, I don't want to say everyone, but honestly, it's everyone, maybe even you, uh, think that I just want everybody to be an employee. Let's move them over. Let's get your culture set up. Let's have some consistency, some longevity. Let's have more control over what they're doing. Let's develop them. Let's get them on our same page. The truth is that that's not how I feel at all. My business is actually built with the full understanding that I don't want to have a huge team. I've spent the last more than a decade managing people, a ton of people, managing their emotions, having crazy experiences. That's what this whole podcast is about. People are unpredictable, and that's wonderful. People have different personalities, and that's amazing. We are not saying that in a negative way, but if you can manage to run your team with a smaller group of people, then you are going to end up being in a better situation in regards to the energy exchange that it comes with truly leading a business. After a certain point, this does change. If you get to be the creative director of a business and you have people underneath you that are that are holding on to that and housing that energy and they're actually the one that is managing your team and keeping those people motivated and going, then that's a totally different conversation and that might be you right now. But regardless, this conversation happens over and over and over again as business needs change, develop and grow. What we really need to do is actually look at what the business needs through a lens of neutrality, not trying to decide who we need for our team because we don't want to deal with having an employee. So we're going to change the role to make it make sense for us or going on the opposite end of things and choosing to hire many, many contractors in order to fill the gaping holes in your business. We call that hiring for the hemorrhage. Just plug the hole, plug the hole, plug the hole. Regardless of whether those people work for you are truly members of your company, truly member of members of your internal team, they are still people that deserve your time and attention. So what our general goal is, is to make sure that we are showing up as efficiently, effectively, and as profitably as possible based on our business needs. Now, yes, there is extra responsibility, compliance, things like that, that come with having an employee. That goes without saying. That's a lot of what we're going to talk about here today. And there are going to be some business owners that are going to choose to be a solopreneur for the longevity of their business, for the sanity of their business, based on getting to their goals and being okay with building a team to have people doing a few things here and there, but primarily they are responsible for themselves and the success of their business. That is 100% fine. You can also change your mind. You can try out the agency model of things. You can try out having employees for a couple of years. You can choose to pull and release those levers as you want to see what your business can do, accomplish, and grow. 
However, if you want a business that's longevity is at the forefront of your goals, that's sustainable and that you can count on in the long term, then you are going to eventually need to cultivate an environment that is conducive to having consistent, regular, and committed employees. And while that does sound like a lot of work, I am here to tell you that is also so, so rewarding. So just keep in mind that generally the discussion about employees and contractors is not always an if, but instead it's a when. And if you're able to reframe your mindset into that, then you're going to end up with a lot more success in regards to the strategic moves that you're making in order to build your team now. So um, I know that was kind of a little bit of a jaunty way of saying, I don't want everybody to hire employees all the time. I don't want everybody to never hire contractors. I want everybody to build massive teams and kind of defend myself because that is not what we're trying to do. We're trying to build cultures and teams that serve the business and serve the business owner. And usually it's a combination of both long-term, dedicated, committed, culture-driven employees that you can trust and some amazing expert support like your financial people, your outsourced CFOs, your bookkeepers, your HR consultants. Um, When you have a small team, you usually don't need somebody internal. Um, your graphic designers, your web designers, your copywriters, those people that are specifically trained in a skill that you don't need more than a few hours a week on. Those are amazing people to have on your team that are contributing to the growth of your business, but they are not a part of your business. They have their own businesses and they deserve to be treated that way. I had a post go up a while ago that literally just said, let the freelancers be free because of the misclassification that I was seeing amongst business owners. And it's such a funny catch 22 because most of our clients, my community, my colleagues, the people that I consider to be my peers, we are all considered independent contractors, consultants, coaches, um, many of our clients, we are, have our own businesses. So we are 1099 contracted team members for some of our clients, um, unless you know you have a product-based business or something like that. It's a little different. But at the end of the day, if you're playing the drinking game, just kidding. I mean, you might need to go back and listen to one of the other episodes to know what I'm talking about. Um, we, What we really want for our business owners is to understand that by misclassifying employees and contractors, it's actually setting up a standard for us to create a toxic and most likely illegal work environment in our space, which all of us want the female entrepreneurs to be successful, for online and remote business to be successful. It has given so much to so many people to be able to have the flexibility to work from home and still lean into their true skill sets. So if we don't take it seriously, that the way that we treat our team members internally, as well as our contracted workers externally, is really important to the success of our industry, then we are at risk for becoming a huge blind spot in regards to how the law is going to come down on us. I, I don't mean to say this in a scary way, because almost any error, mistake, or misjudgment that you've made can be easily, easily fixed and usually walked back. And it is really important that you center the experiences of the people that are working for you and what their goals are in order to really put yourself in a position to show up as a leader in our space overall. You don't have to know every single law. 
actually, I'm not going to talk that much about laws today because I don't know, you could listen to this in 2022 or you could listen to this in 2027. And those laws change rapidly. They change all the time. But the meaning behind them and the intention behind them is always going to stay the same. So really, at the end of this episode, all I want you to walk away with is a general understanding of the difference between an employee and a contractor, how to make the decision of who to hire next, and where to go when you need some extra support, because all of this information is out there. I personally think our blog is the best, but (laughs) there's also, you know, the IRS um, that provides all of this information for you as well. So first and foremost, I just want to talk a little bit about the main differences between an employee or contractor as cited by the IRS right now. So the IRS tells us that there are three different essentially factors that contribute to deciding whether or not a person is a contractor or an employee. Now, remember, the IRS is for the entire country, the entire United States. There are other laws, regulations, rules, there's legislation, there's lots of discussion about this in California, New York, Colorado, um, all a ton of different states where this is actually much more strict and laid out for you. So depending on who you're working with, you do need to pay attention to where they're located. So this is kind of the overarching general understanding of the role that an employee would play in your business versus the enroll a contractor would play in your business. So instead of thinking of this like you can't do this and you can't do that, I'm actually going to rephrase each of these categories in a way that you can actually ask yourself these questions about the position that you are thinking of. So instead of thinking, oh, I don't want to deal with that, or yeah, I don't have to have that, or you know, whatever the case may be, I don't need this person to show up every single day. I want you to think about the specific help that you need in your business when you're listening to the next few minutes of this episode. So number one, the IRS says that the first factor that we have to consider when deciding whether or not someone is an employee or a contractor is behavioral control. So essentially what that means is that if you want to be able to direct and control how the work is done, what the work is done, what means the work is done, i.e. the quality of work, then that is generally going to fall under the category of an employee. So if you have to provide instructions, detailed SOPs, Uh, training, if you have to do continuing education in order to ensure quality, if there is interaction between you and your team member in regards to their performance, things like that will actually classify them as an employee. This is actually really cool to think about because this is where we get the opportunity to develop people into the behaviors that they're exhibiting on behalf of our business. Contractors are amazing, expert, specialized people. They are also easy come, easy go, which is why you probably have mostly used contractors in the past. You put out there, hey, I need somebody to help me with this, this, and this. People send you their information. They send you their pitches. We as business owners probably do the same thing. Somebody says, hey, I need somebody to help me with my HR. Great. Here's what we offer. What sounds good? Here's my pitch. Do you like me? Please pay me, etc." That's, you know, just kidding, but also not. So on the flip side of that, we get to look at this in a way that's like, we. this is not an easy come, easy go relationship. We want this person to show up fully in our business. These are the people that are going to truly take things off of your plate, that you can build that trust and relationship with them over time so that you can literally delegate the way that we've been told that we're allowed to delegate. So at the... At the core of the independent contractor versus employee discussion is who is controlling 
what the behaviors are of the employee, which impacts the work that is being done. If you have to train someone, then either they're not the right fit contractor or they are an employee that should be invested in and therefore is committed to your business long term and that you are fully aware and capable of making sure that you are doing that energy exchange for them. So the one thing I want to just say here is that when it comes to the behavioral control aspect of the independent contractor versus employee relationship is that what I've seen is there is a lot of discussion about, show me your to-do list. You can delegate all that stuff except for this one thing that you have to do. That's great. Wonderful. Now you've just gotten 28 hours a week back or something like that. That sounds great. And at the end of the day, we all want to make sure that we're delegating tasks that can be done by other people. Your time is priceless in your business. There is no wrong way to delegate. I will bang my head against the wall and say this until I'm dead. If you decide to delegate smaller tasks at first to a contractor and then you kind of see how things go, just be able to constantly revise and look internally, look at your business and make sure that that person is still serving the needs of your business and you're not allowing the relationship with a contractor to hold back the growth of what that role could look like for someone internally and what that could do for your business. Um, The other thing about behavioral control that I think is really, really cool is that once we decide to have those hours delegated out to somebody else and we have to train them and really get them on board as an employee, then we don't want to forget that this is an individual So that means that there is an energy exchange that comes from showing up as someone that is developing and training somebody else. So will you be able to actually indicate how the work gets done, what it looks like, the quality of it, and that's all because you invested time, energy, and effort into them? Absolutely. Does that mean you're never going to have to talk to them again and you all of a sudden just have 28 hours back? No. What will likely happen is that your time and your energy will shift into a leadership position. So you're going to suddenly become a little bit more interested in how you can get the best results out of that person. And the difference is that you're not checking tasks off a list. You're enriching your own personal growth into making sure that you're getting the best out of your people. So it's not a direct energy exchange. Let's say you delegated 28 hours of work a week. Make sure that you're spending a little bit of time enriching that relationship so that that energy exchange is still valid and it's still there. Some of this energy might still be in tasks, reviewing their work, reviewing their tasks, giving feedback, making sure that you're continuing to enrich their experience. Every time you do that, that is an investment in not only the person, but when they're an employee, because that's kind of the only situation in which you would need to do this according to the IRS, then you're also enriching the business. The next person that's going to come into that role is now going to have a higher expectation. Um, The story that I have to share about this is actually about my full-time job, which I haven't shared much with this podcast about just yet, but the company that I work for, that I have worked for for a decade, is an amazing company here in San Diego, and it is where I learned a lot of these lessons, being the director of operations, um, moving up through the company over time, optimizing operations, starting all of the HR process and learning how the operations and HR really do feed into each other. All of that comes from this full-time job. So this company is a small business, but that means we have 50 team members over multiple locations. So it's not 
quite so small as Paradigm, where we have generally about three employees. So at the end of the day, there's another one. Um, we want to make sure that when I am talking about small business, I'm not always talking about, you know, the team of two or three employees that's making multi-million dollar years because of their type of industry or the service-based businesses that's able to turn over a huge profit margin with very few team members because of the way that they have built their services and the value of their services. But we're also going to be talking about how there are businesses out there that are directly reliant on the people that are on their team to be the product of the business. And that's the type of business this is, which is why I've had so, so, so many interactions and situations with employees. So the story that I want to talk about with this and why I think the behavioral control aspect of things can be so empowering is that when I first started at this company, uh, my first assistant, so to speak, I'm just going to use that word generally, was a amazing go-getter person, helped train me on parts of the business. They were extremely young, but they ended up leaving the company to go back to school. They didn't have any real education yet to speak of. They were awesome. Um, they were able to hold my hand through the beginning parts of understanding the way that this company works and also become somebody that I had to lead and learn those lessons of going from a peer to a leader. There was so much that happened in that role. She continued to grow and develop as she worked under me. So when she left, she was a completely different position than when she started. So that job description is completely different at the beginning of her tenure in that role to the end of it. Now, over the next 10 years, I've had three other people fill that position which I think is pretty good. That means that um, the turnover rate is really, really low when you work for me. So keep in mind, um, please don't email me for a job though. Um, not right now. I'll let you guys know. Um, but the point of this is, <laughs> it's only a matter of time before I embarrass myself like that. Okay. Um, so the point of all of this is that now the person that I have in that former assistant position is an operations manager managing a company, a seven-figure business, doing most of the work and learning all of the day-to-day -day HR things, operations things, the way that I've built the systems, the way that we build the clients, the way that we manage the team, the conversations that we have, the way that we hit all of our HR compliance checkpoints, the way that we process payroll. And this person also has a master's in accounting. They have a ton of experience working for big firms in all over the country. They have a really stacked resume. They have an exceptional skill set. And so this position has, while it has always been my right-hand person, has developed into someone that could do this job for 10 to 12 hours a week, very part-time, honestly, like barely out of high school, to someone that has a postgraduate degree that gives a crap about the business, that is excited about what's moving forward. And that job has become something so much more different and advanced over time because of the way that each of these relationships have developed while they were my employee, not just expanding the individual, but expanding what that role looks like in the company. And how that has impacted me has been 
massive. Again, a story for another day. But as their boss, as the person that is essentially showing up in the same way that many of you CEOs are, although it is not my company, um, then I have been able to pursue so many different avenues in education, including being here and talking to you all about this right now because of the expansion of that role within the nucleus of the company and what it looks like when you truly invest in people all it does is add value to your company. There is a situation in which we can coach and develop people to not only have them see the result of their work, their development, and their growth personally, contributing to their careers, contributing to their next steps, but also that directly impacts that influence on the company and what that role looks like within the company. And a lot of that is attributed to being able to consistently grow and expand as your people grow and expand. The profit margins expand as your company allows for it. That is a lever that you can pull. If you have someone of high quality commitment in a role, you are going to get a significantly higher ROI than somebody who is not committed to the role. So, I mean, I'm sure you guys can see everybody thinks that or care thinks everybody should be an employee, blah, blah, blah. No, but in the case when an employee is valid and necessary or when that contractor role grows into an employee, it's your job as the CEO to understand that area of opportunity, especially when it comes to desiring a little bit more behavioral control. I hope this is as interesting as I think it is because I'm pretty sure I could talk about this forever, but I'm going to move on to the next one, which is financial control. So the simplest and easiest way to explain this is who sets the rates. And there's this is twofold. Number one, if you're out there looking for somebody to come in and fill a graphic design position in your company, you know you only need them for a couple hours a week. It's very project-based. It feels like it should be a contractor. It looks like it should be a contractor at the stage that you're at in your business. Then what you are going to be doing is just putting it out there that you're looking for a graphic designer. Does anybody have any recommendations? Great. Send them over and send me your rates. That is the way that we can treat our contractors. That is the way the IRS says that 1099 uh, independent contractors are treated. They set their rates. We don't. There's no such thing as a job description for an independent contractor. I mean, there is, but like there shouldn't be. Um, There's no such thing as as an offer letter for a contractor. Maybe give or take a little bit of negotiation in regards to the delivery of the items that you're contracting this worker to work for, like, you know, a little bit of negotiation in the contract process, whatever the case may be. But as a compliant employer, we have to make sure that not only are we treating our contractors and employees well within alignment of what's required, but we also have to make sure that our contractors understand their rights as they play into our company. So we may end up in a situation where a contractor might be like, I don't know, what are you offering? In which case you can have a discussion and a negotiation. But at the end of the day, again, (laughs) there's another one. Um, We want to make sure that our contractors are aware that they are in financial control of how and when and what they get paid for performing services. Again, there's a little bit of negotiation in there, but that is completely different than our employees. So not only do our employees get to come in and be developed and we get to train them and teach them and we get to decide on the quality that they're putting out, what their job description is, all of that good stuff. We have complete behavioral control, but we also get to decide what we can afford. 
So we get to decide what we're going to offer people based on what our business can afford, which means that an employee is going to be much more flexible and pliant in regards to the needs of your business than a contractor will. So if you have a very strict budget, it might seem crazy to think that you might outsource, you know, might get everything together so that you don't have to outsource, but instead you can insource because maybe you want a part-time employee that's going to show up for 15 hours a week and you're willing to put a little bit more money, time, attention, and effort towards the compliance piece of having an employee in the first place so that you can, in the long term, make sure that you can set up what you can afford to ensure that you can continue to afford it long term. Whereas if you're reliant on a contractor as an integral piece of your process, that contractor is completely in control of what they're charging you, which means that they get to decide what your budget is, especially if you become reliant on their skill set. So just keep in mind that that financial control, not only do we have to show up for our employees and make sure that we can give them the offer letters that they need, give them benefits, perks, whatever it is that is going to draw the most qualified workers to our to our company. But we also want to make sure that when we are interacting with contractors that we're hiring to build out the separate assets of our team, then we are still respecting that the law says that they tell us what we pay them. There, again, is space for negotiation in what is the result of that payment. That's why there's supply and demand. That's literally where that comes from. Um, So just keep in mind that there is always going to be a a sense of not having as much control uh, when it comes to what your budget is when you're reliant on external factors and contractors in order to accomplish the work. Okay. And the third, the third and final marker for how to decide about whether you need an employee or a contractor in your business is the relationship of the parties. So on the IRS website, it can be a little bit like wishy-washy, I guess, when you're going through these things. Um, and at the in a few minutes, I'll talk about what all this means. If it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that, what you should do in those situations. But again, not legal advice, just some advice um, for how to make sure that you're planning for the future. That's the whole point of this. Even if you're not in a place to hire somebody right now, or maybe you are a contractor and you want to understand what your rights are, make sure that you're still going out and doing that extra research. And we will happily link this article in our show notes, as well as our blog post and all other resources that we can find that are really helpful. I'll also include a resource that the state of California put out, given that we have some of the more strict regulations under these um, under this law. And it's got this really awesome checklist that you can look at. Again, just in your mind, you're going through each of these qualifiers and you're like, what does my business need? Not so much of what do I really want to do? Like how much effort do I really want to put in in order to make sure that people are classified correctly on my team? Okay, so the relationship of the parties. This is going to actually include a little bit more of the overarching feeling of working with somebody that is outside of your business. Um, It's going to be backed up not quite so much by... um, It is going to be backed up not so much by the quality of work that they're doing, how much you're communicating with them, who's setting the rates of what they're doing and how they're working, but it's actually going to be a little bit more about the agreement that you have as a 
indicator of what type of relationship this really is between the two of you. So one of the things on the IRS website that talks about how you can just use this category to decipher between what the contractor or employee regulation actually calls for is the written contracts or oral agreements that actually describe the relationship that you are intending to create. So the simplest thing to say about this is that employees have their own set of agreements that they are committed to. Um, you may have signed employment agreements in the past, signed employee handbooks in the past, gotten benefits, perks, done onboarding, been on payroll, all of that good stuff. But you probably didn't sign a contract that committed you to a certain amount of time that you're committed to working in a position. That is called at-will employment, and that is for another day. But essentially, if you have a contract that outlines the specifics of a project or a time frame in which somebody is going to be working for you or working with you, that is generally going to be a contractor. However, there are, of course, exceptions to this. I'm sure you've heard of people being in breach of contract as employees, and there's all kinds of nuances and things like that. It's that famous, it depends. But I really just want to make sure that when you walk away from this situation, you understand that employees are meant to be brought into a work environment where you are providing the things they need in order to be successful. Whereas contractors are showing up to the job that you're giving them, they're getting it done and they're handing it back to you. And you get to decide how, if you want to continue to pay them after that. So it's really about making sure that your contractors are earning your business. They're showing up for you in a way that is going to keep you paying them. And it can be a little bit wishy-washy when it comes to the online business space. Sometimes we hire freelancers that don't have their own contracts or they don't have their own packages that are laid out. And so we provide a contract for them. Sometimes our contractors provide a contract to us and then we have things that we want to add in, addendums that we want to make, things like that. We're going to have one of my very good friends on the podcast to talk a little bit more about negotiating in contracts with people that work for you, stuff like that a little later. So I'll leave it to the experts. Um, however, when you have an employee, that means that you are controlling if they're having benefits, if they're able to work for other businesses like yours, if you are their primary source of income, what happens if they have to get a second job? Do you get to control what that looks like? With a contractor, you have absolutely none. With an employee, you can actually build that in to the requirements of your team members, whether they are part-time or full-time. Um, we also, it's complicated. Don't just like take that and run with it and forget everything else I said. There's more to it, but just, you know, (laughs) I'm like, this is just a walking disclaimer, but I want to make sure that there's a solid understanding of that. If you are an employee, you're going to get things like vacation time. You're going to be actually, um, in many States, you're actually going to be legally obligated to get paid for whenever you're sick so that you can make sure that you're able to, not have to show up for work sick. Um, A lot of this happened during COVID. You also, employees will have access to federally mandated funds like social security that they're paying into, unemployment insurance, disability, things like that, that are rights of employees that work for other companies. It can be really problematic for someone to feel like, oh, I'm basically an employee. That's actually so unfair. That means that your employee, let's just pretend that we're back in COVID and we have an employee that's like amazing or I'm sorry, a contractor that's like amazing. They're doing a really awesome job. They live in a state that's not super, super strict. Um, Over time, it went from just working a couple hours a week, traditional contractor stuff to now there's a really solid relationship and it feels like they're an employee and a part of your team. 
that person, when COVID happened, if your business had to shut down, if you weren't getting as much business, that person that you have been treating like an employee and getting all the benefits of having all of the control over their time, et cetera, is now not eligible for unemployment. They're not eligible for disability. They're not eligible for any federal benefits that come from what the government put out there when that we were in the midst of the pandemic. So many states also offered paid sick time for people that got COVID so that their income didn't have to suffer based on their inability to go to work and spread the virus around. That was a really, really big deal for a lot of small businesses that the government was going to reimburse us for allowing our teams to not have to be at work. So we were able to keep some of our team members out of the office to get better and to heal and not feel that they had to hide the virus, come into work, infect other people, stuff like that. In the online business space, it's a little different, but you can kind of see where that's coming from. One of the other things that IRS talks a lot about is the permanency of the relationship. So when we hire an employee, our goal is to bring somebody in that's going to stick around for a while. We want them to feel committed. We want them to know that we can develop them. We are playing a role in their career. When a contractor comes in, they're giving us all their juicy, good expertise, and we get to take advantage of it on behalf of our company. And then they get to go and continue to develop their own their own skills, their own relationships, their own education, all of that good stuff outside of us having to put in that energy. That's why contractors are generally more expensive than employees. It's because that energy exchange is so different. Does that mean that, you know, maybe we have to off like offset 10%? We have to give 10% of extra attention where we're offload when we're offloading those 28 hours to a contractor a month. But when it comes to employees, you are going to expect to offer more energy than that. You might be exchanging 28 hours a month, but putting in six or seven to make sure that you're developing them and you're there for them and you're supporting them and you're showing up for them in the way that you should. And that is the way that we want to make sure that people are running businesses, not only to make sure that we're following the three guidelines that we went over today, but also to make sure that we're setting the standard for our industry so that we can make sure that we're creating places for people to work that are kind, they are giving, they are enriching and fulfilling, and they're creating an environment where people can learn and grow alongside us for as long as they want to. Um, I was on a podcast called She's Busy AF recently with a friend, and Lauren and I were talking about how scary it can be to think about taking this switch from a contractor to an employee or being a business owner that has to skip the contractor altogether. Maybe we have a couple of VAs that we've worked with, but there's a role that we're hiring for that hasn't developed from those. It's a completely different specialized role. And we're going right into an employee position based on the guidelines we talked about today. And Lauren asked me, you know, what do you think? Like, it's so scary to think, oh my gosh, what happens if this person leaves? The person that I invest all this time, energy, and effort into, what happens then? And I wanted to tell Lauren in the moment (laughs) that... It doesn't matter. At at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if somebody leaves because when you have your foundation set up that are going to contribute to someone that is coming in and filling a role in your company, then it's really easy to replace them. But I didn't say that because... Because I think it sounds a little mean to be like, who cares if someone leaves? So, but what I am going to say here is that the more that we are able to cultivate an environment where people can expect what they're going to get out of their job every day. They can show up for work in a way that is authentic and 
really giving it their all on a day-to-day basis and expanding the reach of that position within your company, we can always replace people if they decide that they're going to go and do something else. That's the point of having a strategic plan for your people, for your business, and how HR can play a role in that. So what we can do, because we can't control people and we're not going to try, but what we can do is we can help people care about their careers And we can show them how we as leaders and managers can put them in these roles within our company that take a lot of commitment and time, but also provide them stability and they provide them a place to learn and a place to grow. And we can incentivize that by making sure that we are making efforts every single day to put our people in a position to continue to learn and grow for their own good, for their own career, for towards their own goals. My goals as a manager have changed so much over the years. And what I try to cultivate within my companies, and this is a huge part of our company culture, is that if and when it does come time for you to leave, whether we have to have an uncomfortable termination conversation, which does happen, or you're leaving on amazing terms because you've gotten a kick-ass opportunity that the experiences that you've had here has set you up for that I can't match because it's not conducive with my company, not because I'm not worthy of you. We need to make sure that we are so, so happy for our people that we're creating a path for them to get to the next point in their careers and their business. Kylie, if you're listening to this, please stop. I would like for you to remember that you are going to have the best life ever, but only if you work for me. No, I'm just kidding. But I do want to, it was kind of a realization that I made over the years is that we don't have to have it be some big negative thing when somebody leaves. When when people are showing up to work and they care about you and they care about their career and you're giving them a place to help them continue to push your mission forward, push what you're doing forward, they care about your mission and your values, again, another episode for another day, then we get to be a part of their career trajectory. And we get to get those emails in a few years from somebody that we don't even remember because of some conversation we had with them to make them feel like they had the space to continue to learn and grow as people, as workers, and as their own professional goals start to show themselves to us. Within this journey of being an entrepreneur and starting a team, I talk all about how rewarding it is to be able to impact other people's lives and how rewarding it is to be able to cash my paychecks at the end of the day without having to do all the work myself. Those both can exist at the same time. So don't get it twisted. We want to be able to make sure that we can have those open conversations. And a huge part of my company culture is that it is always my goal that everyone feels that they are contributing to their career path in a way that feels really good for them every day, even if it has nothing to do with the work they did for me that day. And if you think about it like that, how narcissistic to think that the work I'm giving them is going to make them feel good every day. I want them to tell me what they need from their job. Do they still need to do their job for me? Absolutely. But I want them to tell me what they need so that I can be challenged to show up for them in a way that's going to expand who they are as an employee so that they can get exactly what they want out of their career. We don't have to be afraid of people leaving. We have the strategy in place. We can replace them if the time comes, whether they want to leave or we have to kind of let them go and help them find the next possible thing that's better for them. But what we can't do is become afraid of committing to the development of somebody. We can be sad when people leave, but we can't become afraid of it. The harder that we hold on to things in life and want to control them, the more that they're going to try to escape. 
<laughs> that was a weird analogy. Uh, but I want to keep it in because I think a lot of you guys know what I'm talking about, especially because I'm sure plenty of you guys have toddlers running around and you know exactly what I mean. So I always say, and I'm going to leave this episode on this note, um, what I will tell people all the time is that when it comes to managing our team, we want to create a space and a culture where people feel safe to be themselves. They're constantly adding value to their job every day, and they're doing the job that they want to do, whether they're showing up as an employee or a contractor. Our role is going to be different in how we play into their career. Um, so we want to make sure that we're aware of all of these things so we can be confident in how we're showing up and we're not hesitating to make decisions because we know what our rights are within the confines of the space and within the confines of their position. And the analogy that I always say is that if you have a handful of sand, if you're afraid that your person's going to leave, think about how it is to hold a handful of sand. If you try to hold it really, really, really tight and you never want to let them go, the sand is going to slip between your fingers. But if you're able to just hold it gently and kind of let the breeze flow and you bend and you adapt and you learn what they need and you have an open conversation and you just kind of let the sand sit there, you're going to be able to hold on to more pieces of sand than if you're holding on so tight and you're not actually letting things happen and develop and unfold and let people show you who they are, what they're good at and what their desires are. (sighs) Well, thank you so much for listening. (laughs) We will link all of those resources in the notes. Make sure that you are sending me any questions that you have as a result of this. Again, this was not meant to be a fear monger. There is always a way to fix anything that may be showing up as a red flag. And the one thing I want to leave you with is that when it comes to identifying your contractors or employees, there is a lot of gray area. So I think that after this explanation, you can understand how you can probably have 95% of these things feel like it's fully in alignment as a contractor, but maybe there's a couple things that are a little questionable. If you can confidently say that 95% of those qualifications allow them to be an independent contractor in your business, then just make sure that you're documenting that and you're keeping track of it and you're aware of it. If those things start to slip or if your business needs more than that 95%, maybe they need 50% of those things to be more on the employee side. Don't be afraid to make the decision to move into having somebody else or some other classification be able to fill that role in order for your business to get to its goals. None of this is black and white, but you do need to be aware of it so that you can make informed decisions. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. If you're listening to this, you've stuck with me for this entire episode. And for that, I say thank you. I hope you found as much value in this week's topic as I do. If so, be sure to follow, rate, and review on the Up and Up podcast. You'll be helping others find the fun in HR too. Follow us on social media and join us next Wednesday for your weekly dose of On the Up and Up.